This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. James chapter number two, uh, we're going to start in verse number, let's back up to verse number uh, 14. We're really going to spend our time, um, look at us, we're going to get through chapter two tonight. I heard one person say amen, good for you. Uh, James chapter two, uh, starting verse number 14. What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and hath not works, can faith save him? And the answer to that is yes. If a brother's destitute, or a brother's sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and what if he say unto them, Depart in peace and be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding ye give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well, the devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou, O vain man, know that faith without works is dead? So up to this point, James is making it crystal clear for us. You must be saved by faith alone. But that faith that you are saved by, if it is real, if it is genuine and authentic, will develop outward, exterior, visible works, uh, spiritual fruit, if you will, that God is at work in your life and people will be able to see it in a visible, tangible fashion. And James says, hey, I, I dare you to show me your faith without works, and I promise you that I will show you my faith by my works. And so then we get to verse number 21, a verse that's caused much confusion, and again, has even been taken out of context and used for false religions and things like that. So it's important that we understand what verse 21 through 26 is saying here tonight. And scripture was fulfilled, which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see that how by works a man is justified, and not by faith only, Likewise, also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works. And so again, uh, this causes us to, uh, actually verse number 20, I skipped verse 21, didn't I? I'm sorry about that. Let's back up to verse 21. I was like, I'm missing a verse somewhere. Uh, Verse number 21. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Now, that seems to go against everything we've heard thus far. Because again, James is saying that we're not justified by works. Paul says we're not justified by works. But here now James is saying, was not Abraham... (coughs) justified by works when he had offered Isaac upon the altar seest thou how faith wrought with his works and works was faith made perfect and the scripture was fulfilled which saith Abraham believed God and it was imputed unto him for righteousness and he was called the friend of God you see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only again this causes a little bit of confusion if we don't understand the scriptures appropriately in context and in accordance with the rest of the Bible Verse 25, likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Now, the question that we have was Abraham justified by faith or by works or by both. 
Now the question comes, is what do we mean by the word justified? Now it's interesting to, to understand the definition of justification uh, that we, we use to determine that, which determines whether or not Abraham got saved by his works or Abraham got saved by his faith. Now, just to be crystal clear, uh, sometimes I like to try to keep you in suspense and things like that. Uh, I'm going to spoil everything for you right now and tell you this. No one in the history of the world has ever been saved by their works. Ever. And so when James here says that Abraham was justified by his works, we need to scratch our head and say, hold on for just a second, what does that mean? And so again, we need to dig a little bit deeper and find out what it's talking about. When we talk about Abraham standing before God, Abraham was justified by faith in his standing before God. Now when we talk about justification, we're talking about he was declared righteous by God. How? By faith. So God saw Abraham's faith and declared him righteous. We'll get into a little bit later, how do people get saved before Jesus Christ, before they could repent of their sin and put their faith in Christ as Lord, before they could trust his payment on the cross as payment for their sins. How did they do that? We'll take a look at that in just a moment. But Abraham was justified in his works, in his standing before man. So again, here's where we, where we get the nuts and bolts of it. In the eyes of God, Abraham was justified or declared righteous by his faith. And in the eyes of man, the proof of his righteousness was in his works. For example, Abraham took his son. Isaac, sometimes we see pictures in Sunday school books of Isaac, this little bitty boy being carried up the hill and stuff like that. Isaac was more than likely a grown man at this point. He wasn't a little kid that didn't have a clue as to what was going on. That's why when Abraham says, hey guys, you hang tight here, we're going up to make a sacrifice on the hill, Isaac's scratching his head going, hold up, pops, um, we're short something here. We got some wood, uh, but we don't have a sacrifice. And Abraham says, God will provide. And so to everyone who's standing at the bottom of the hill, they think to themselves, Abraham really trusts God because he's walking up that hill with the only sacrifice he could possibly make would be his only son. So Abraham's faith was proven or justified in the sight of men by his works. Justification, we generally use the term to mean declared righteous, but the word justification is used in scripture can also mean the proof of righteousness, the evidence of righteousness. Remember how we talked about two weeks ago that if you're truly biblically saved, there will be evidence of spiritual fruit in your life, uh, a desire for things of God, spiritual fruit, uh, deep-seated uh, disdain for sin. Those are evidences of the fact that you belong to God. That could be, you could also use that term to be justified, as in proven that you are saved or the proof of your righteousness. So again, we need to understand terms when we say that Abraham was justified by works because we have to say that doesn't line up with the rest of Scripture. And so, stay with me for a second and listen to this. If someone were to look at this and you don't know your Bible, they say, well, Abraham was justified by works, but Paul says in Galatians that we're justified by faith. That's a contradiction in the Bible. And if the Bible contradicts itself, it's not of God, it doesn't make sense, 
What other contradictions are there? Because again, for 2,000 years, people have been trying to find contradictions in Scripture. This is not a contradiction in Scripture because you can't find them. So when it appears on the surface maybe to say, hey, this doesn't look like it jives, we need to say, let's dig a little bit deeper to find out what that means. Take your Bible, turn to to the book of Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, verse number 24. Actually, let's back up to verse number... um, Verse number 20. Let's do that. And we'll go down to this passage. Romans chapter 3, verse number 20. Paul says again very clearly, Therefore, by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for the, by the law is the knowledge of sin. Hey, you can't be declared righteous in God's eyes by keeping rules. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested and being witnesses by the law and of the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, which is what? By faith. So you want to be declared righteous by God. It must be by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But being justified freely, how? By his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So again, we see that we're declared righteous by faith, by the grace of God. And then Romans even tells us here in in chapter number three that you cannot be justified or declared righteous by simply keeping the law. Go down to verse number 28. Whereas, uh, 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 therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. And so then, again, you might say, well, that's kind of confusing to, to use that word justified in the book of James. But we also see it used in Romans chapter 3, verse number 4, if you want to turn back there. Romans chapter 3, verse number 4, God forbid, yea, let God be true and every man a liar. As it is written, that thou mightest be justified in thy sayings and might overcome when thou art judged. So he's saying here, hey, what God says is true. Let God be true and every man a liar. So that when people look at your life, there is a proof there that God is true. And so here we see the word justified to mean the proof of righteousness. And it's used that that way in a, a couple other passages of scriptures as well. And so we have to come back and realize that Abraham was not saved by works because there's never been a single solitary person in the history of the world that was ever saved by works. And so, again, we need to understand what the Bible says and what it's not saying here. Abraham's faith was backed up by his works, for sure. Again, we're in Romans chapter uh, 3. Turn over to Romans chapter 4, if you would, verse number 1. Romans chapter 4, verse number 1. What shall we say then that Abraham our father as pertaineth to the flesh hath found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him 
for righteousness. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, believeth him that justified the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. So again, important verses here, two and three. For if Abraham were justified by works, he has a reason to glory. Hey, if Abraham was saved because he took Isaac up there and was going to offer him as a sacrifice, then Abraham gets to brag for the rest of all of eternity. Hey guys, look at what I did. I was willing to kill my own son and that's what saved me. What did you do to get saved? Was your salvation story better than mine? Because I have a reason to boast. But the Bible says that in the book of Ephesians chapter 2, that salvation is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And so here we see Paul says that Abraham was not justified by works. Verse number 3 says uh, Abraham believed God, that's faith, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. And again, the word justified before God means declared righteous before God. And so here Abraham, again, justified by faith, not by his works, but he stood proving his faith before man by his works. And so his faith was backed up by his works. Abraham was declared righteous by faith. Again, we see uh, here not only uh, in uh, verse number three, for what saith the scripture, Abraham believed God and was counted unto him for righteousness. But we also find in Genesis chapter 15, verse number six, if you're taking notes, you should write that down, Genesis 15, 6. And he believed in the Lord, and he counted it unto him for righteousness. So Abraham declared righteous by faith, but Abraham then proved his righteousness by his works. And so the proof of the fact that he had been saved, his works. The fact that he was willing to actually live his faith out in a real, tangible way. So again, we haven't found a contradiction here in the scripture at all. We actually find out where they complement one another. James says that Abraham was justified before men by his works. Same thing that Paul's saying. Abraham was justified before God by his faith. And so friend, help me, let me help you understand this. You are saved by faith alone, by grace alone, in Christ alone. But your life should be different because of your salvation. We took a look at this morning how we're adopted into the family of God. Because you're a child of God, your life should be different than the rest of the world. Our works are different. And our works should be proof of the fact that we are children of God. People should be able to look at your life and if they find out that you're a Christian, which hopefully it shouldn't take very long, find out that you're a Christian, they should say, oh, I get it. That all makes sense now because of the way that person lives their life. We're justified before men by our works that we do. I hope for you, for me, if you talk to me for more than three minutes, you're going to find out I'm married to the most incredible woman in the entire world, and I really love Jesus, and I want you to love him too. Like, just stand still for, give me like three minutes. That's all I need. Because those are the things that are super important to me. And I hope that people can look at my life, and my life style backs up my faith. That's what Abraham had. Now, Abraham proved his righteousness by his works again. Genesis chapter 22, verse number three. And Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass or his donkey and the two of them, the young men with him and Isaac, his son, and clave to the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went to the place of which God had told him. And on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. Abraham said unto his young men, abide ye here with the ass or the donkey. And I laid the eye in the lab, will go yonder and worship and come again to you. 
So Abraham says, hey, guys, hang tight here. We're going to go worship the Lord together. And Isaac says, hey, Dad, where's the sacrifice? He says, God's going to take care of it. It's actually interesting if you read the, the account. We don't have time to turn to it tonight. But in Genesis 22, when um, Isaac asks Abraham, hey, where's our sacrifice? It's interesting what Abraham's response is. The Lord will provide himself a lamb. That's what he says. And you look at that and you might say, oh, God's going to provide a lamb for himself. You could read it that way and it definitely makes sense. Or you could read it with a prophetic idea that the Lord will provide himself as the lamb. Oh, that's good. Because while God allowed Abraham to spare his own son, God would not spare his own son. God was the one who would be willing to, if you want to go this far and say, prove his love for us by allowing his son's life to be taken. And so, again, beautiful story, beautiful picture of salvation in that story there. And then we go to the story of Rahab. Rahab was saved by faith as well. Turn your feel over to Joshua chapter 2. Joshua chapter 2. Joshua chapter 2, verse number... Verse number... Hmm. Oh, verse number 9. Just to give you a little bit of backstory. God told the children of Israel that they could go into the promised land. Go. Everywhere your foot touches is yours. You can have it. Just go. There will be people that will fight against you, but you're going to win every single time. Just go. And the children of Israel stopped, and they go, ah, I don't know if we can actually go or not. I don't know if we can take these people on. We haven't even seen the land yet, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to send 12 spies into the land to find out if we can actually take these guys on or not. And then they're going to come back and report, and they'll figure out whether or not we can actually win. And if you know the story, they, 12 spies went out, two came back, I'm sorry, 12 came back. 10 of them said, no way in the world. We cannot do this. They're going to crush us. Two of them said, Joshua and Caleb says, with the Lord's help, we got this. Let me just stop for just a second. This isn't part of tonight's message. This is a really good point to bring up here. When God says do something, you don't have to vet it out to find out whether or not you can actually do it or not. You should just do it. And what happened? The children of Israel wandered in the wilderness for 40 years until everybody who said that they couldn't do it died. Because God says, you don't have faith, you don't get to to claim the prize. And so you and I, so many times when God tells us to do something, we kind of hem and we haul about it. We might even get out a sheet of paper and put the pros on one side and the cons on the other. Just skip all that. And when the Lord says go, just say, okay, I'm, I'm in. When God says do this, just say, okay, I'm willing to obey. When God says, hey, I want you to do this, stop trying to make a deal or figure out a way around it, just obey. Had the children of Israel just walked over into the promised land, they would have steamrolled everybody and took what belonged to them. And so they find themselves in a city here, and and basically some of the spies have been found out. And so there's a woman who's a prostitute by the name of Rahab who takes these spies in and hides them. Joshua chapter 2, verse number... um, Let's take a look at verse number uh, seven. And the men pursued them, the, the spies, 
after the way under Jordan unto the forge, and as soon as they which pursued them were gone out, they shut the gate. And before they were laid down, she came upon the roof, and she said unto the men, the spies, Rahab says to the spies, I know that the Lord hath given you the land, and that your terror is fallen upon us, for all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you, and when you came out of Egypt, what you did unto the two kings of the Amorites, and those that were on the other side of Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom ye utterly destroyed. And as soon as we had heard these things, our hearts did melt. Neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. Now, therefore, I pray you, swear unto me by the Lord, since I have showed you kindness, that you also show kindness unto my father's house, and give me a true token that you'll save alive my father, my mother, my brother, my sisters, and all they that I have, and deliver us our lives from death. Here's what Rahab says. She says, I know that, uh, I want you to see verse number uh, nine. And she said unto the men, I know that the Lord... And if you, in your Bible, if you have that word Lord in, in either all caps or what are they called drop caps, that means the word Jehovah. I know that Jehovah God is with you. I know that. I know that what you have done is because of Jehovah God is Lord. He is master. He is the one true God. You see what, what Rahab is doing here is she's confessing her faith in God. This is a woman who's not a Jew. She would be a Gentile. This is a woman who is not a, a good godly woman that goes to the synagogue every Sunday. This is a prostitute who says, I know that the Lord God of Israel is the one true God. And I know that when you come back here, this place is going to be decimated. And I pray to your God that you would be willing to make a commitment to me to save me and save my family. And so they made, a, made an agreement. So they came and knocked on Rahab's door. Said, hey, you seen those Israelite guys? She says, I haven't. The last time I saw them, they, they were over outside the gate. You should go get them. And they left. And so they made an agreement with Rahab. When we come back to your city, we're going to utterly destroy this joint, but you guys will be safe. And they kept their, they kept their promise. But what saved Rahab? Was Rahab saved by the fact that she took some uh, Jewish guys in and hid them up on the roof? No. Rahab was not saved by her works. She was saved by her faith. How did she prove that her faith was real? She was willing to put her neck on the line because she believed God's promises. So now Rahab isn't saved by her works but Rahab's faith was proven by her works. She proved to everybody, hey, I really believe this so much that I'm willing to put my life on the line. I'm willing to die. Had they something gone bump up on the roof and they'd found those spies up there, Rahab would have been dead as a doornail. But she said, it's worth it because I know that there's one true God and it's the God of Israel. And so again, Rahab's faith was proven by her works. Let's go back to the book of James, chapter 2, if you would. James, chapter 2, verse number 
22. Seest thou how faith wrought with his works? You see how Abraham's faith coupled together with his works and by works was faith made perfect. Now again, we need to understand what the scripture is saying here. The word perfect doesn't mean without a flaw. It means mature or complete. What James is saying here is see how those works bolstered that faith and how that faith was made stronger by the works. He's not saying that the two of those go together to make real saving faith. That's where false religions, that's where Catholicism takes this passage of Scripture and says, see, you've got to have faith and works to be saved. And they'll point to verses like this to say, hey, see, hey, look, uh, faith needs works to actually be complete. That's not what it's saying. And, and again, if we were to just take this one verse and look at that, you could say, well, maybe that's what the Bible's saying. But you only have to look at the totality of Scripture to see that it's either works or grace or it's grace or works, but it can't be both. That either we're saved by the grace of God or we're not saved by our works. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, that the salvation is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Not of works, only by the grace of God. So Christian maturity will be evident through good works and spiritual fruit. Now, how does one get saved? Two things you need. Faith, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that he's the only way to heaven. I believe that he died for my sins. I believe that he rose again the third day. And repentance. I'm confessing my sinful state to God, and I'm turning from my sin and turning to Jesus and seeking God's forgiveness. That's the only way that one can be saved, faith and repentance. So let me just say it this way. I don't want to say this because I don't want to trivialize it. But it doesn't require a whole lot of sacrifice from you to be saved. The hard work has already been done by Christ. You and I simply receive a gift. It's like sitting down on Christmas morning and opening up a present. It doesn't take a lot of sacrifice to sit on the couch and open up a present. Now what someone bought you might have caused great sacrifice on their part. But receiving a gift doesn't really require a lot on your part. And so... I want to go so far as to say it's easy for one to become saved. It's not difficult by any means. Faith and repentance, that's it. But then the really, um, I don't even want to say difficult, but the really proving part is the spiritual maturity. It's easy for someone to say, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. It's a harder thing for someone to actually live like a Christian. And so that's what James is saying here, like, hey, faith Faith is actually made more mature by your works. And let me just say this. You cannot be a mature Christian without proof in the pudding. you got to have works to back up your salvation if you really want to be a mature Christian. Here's, if you're a really mature Christian, I don't have to wonder whether or not you're actually saved. You know why? Because your works will prove that out. I don't have to wonder whether or not you're walking with Jesus because I can see it. It's evident in your life. I love that. I had the opportunity uh, today 
uh, to, to walk uh, downstairs. I was grabbing something out of the lobby, and I saw two of our men standing out on the sidewalk. I thought they were just out there shooting the breeze. I was getting ready to go out and shoot the breeze with them. You know what I saw them doing? I saw them out there praying together on the sidewalk. And I was just like, that's awesome. I didn't look at that and go, hmm, I wonder if those guys are even saved. I looked at that, and I thought, man, praise God for two men of God that would stand on the sidewalk in front of a church after church services are totally over and just pray. I'm blessed to be a part of a church like that. Now, if I saw the guys out there throwing dice and, 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 and trying to bet money on something or saw them out there scratching off lottery cards, I'd be like, okay, maybe you're saved because I've heard your salvation testimony, but like your life is not backing it up whatsoever. And so again, we have to, to understand that being a Christian requires little sacrifice on your part. Being a mature Christian requires a complete sacrifice on your part. Does that make sense? You know, why? Because here's what Jesus said. Jesus says, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Well, how many times do I have to do that? Every single day. For how long? The rest of your life. So if you want to be a mature Christian, that requires sacrifice on your part. But let me just tell you this. Sacrifice, I forget, it was a missionary who said this. I can't remember the exact quote, but it's like, it goes something along these lines. We should not use the term sacrifice when we think of what Christ has done for us. Like to talk about, I've made a sacrifice for Christ. Like what Christ has done for me is over and above. And let me just help you with something tonight and tell you this. What I have ever given up in my life is so minimal compared to what I have received from God in my life. I miss being hung over. <laughs> okay. I miss ruining my marriage through pornography or inappropriate relationships. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm willing to miss out on that. Oh, I didn't get in the, the cool club and go to the parties with everybody else. Yeah, I'm okay with that. I'm missing out on that. Because anything that I've missed out on has always been for my good. And it's always helped me in the long run. And look, anything that I could have ever possibly given up for the cause of Christ is so small, so inconsequential compared to what I have received from God. And so, if you really want the good stuff that comes from Christianity, it comes from being fully committed to it. Let me, let me just tell you, if you're marginally committed to your faith, you're going to be marginally uh, disappointed with your results. Let me just tell you that. Because you cannot follow Jesus and follow the world at the same time. You've got to pick a side. And so if you have a real legitimate faith that wants to grow, you need the works to back it up. Now again, you're not saved by your works. You'll still get to go to heaven as much as anybody else. But you need to think in larger terms. I remember being an immature Christian back in the day. And I heard a, a pastor one time preach about getting to heaven and the judgment seat of Christ and how your whole life will be weighed in the balance of, of what you've done for the cause of Christ. And some of it will be uh, wood, hay, and stubble, and it'll burn. Some of it will be gold, silver, precious stone, and it'll be uh, able to be given to God as a gift. And I remember thinking to myself, like, I don't care about rewards. I'll just be glad to be there. Like, I'll be in heaven. I don't care whether I get something or whether I don't. Not a big deal. I'm just happy to be there. But then I realized that 
I'll stand before God and the only thing that I have to offer God is what I've done with my life. And the thought, have you ever gone to a party where somebody invited you, hey, you should come over and grab a pizza or something like that, and you get there and you realize it's like somebody's birthday party, and you're like, ah, I didn't get a gift. This is awkward. Or holiday season, especially somebody's like, hey, look, look at what I got you. I got you a Christmas present. And you're like, oh, I totally left yours at home. Um, and you're like on Amazon trying to find out that you can't get it here in time for Christmas. And you're just like, did you get that gift card that I emailed you? Oh, you didn't. I'm going to resend it right now, right? Because you feel awkward. I know I'm supposed to give something, but I don't have anything to give. The thought of standing before my Savior one day, kind of like feeling around in my pockets going like, yeah, I don't have anything to offer. You gave me an entire life that I lived for myself. I squandered everything that I had. I did nothing for the kingdom, and I'm here with nothing to give. I was ashamed at the thought of that. But then to think about this, I can do what Jesus says. I can lay up treasure for myself in heaven. I can start to get my account of heavenly gifts to Jesus rolling right now. By the things that I do here, by the things that I invest in, by investing in the kingdom, investing in people, sharing the gospel, seeing people saved. Hey, there's going to be people in heaven one day because I took time to share the gospel with them. I don't know who it was, but somebody earlier this year in Chinatown took some of our invitations and put a, a piece of tape over it and taped them over Bernard and Louise's house, front door. And she had been saved early, and she had been looking for a church, and she didn't even know where to even start. And she walked out her door and found an invitation to Hui Tala taped on her front door. I don't know who it was, but you're carrying around a roll of tape. You're not next level, okay? <laughs> but here's the thing. Louise came. She got baptized. I said, I want Bernard. Shared the gospel with him. He got saved. Louise got baptized last month. Bernard got baptized this month. They're both in discipleship. They're both growing. They both love Jesus. You know why? Because somebody somewhere stuck something on their front door. I'm saying somebody changed eternity by a simple act of, I believe God's power enough to tape something on somebody's front door. And I can only imagine, like, did you, like, pre-tape them and, like, go out and, like, chuck, 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 chuck? or were you, like, standing at somebody's front door, like, like that. I don't know. But here's what I know. I love it. Love it. Because somebody said, this message is too good to keep to myself. And while I don't even know your story, I don't know who did it. I don't, and frankly, here's the thing. The Lord knows and that's all that matters. I don't know if you didn't have the guts to knock on the door, so you just got a piece of tape and slapped it up there. I don't know if you put out one that day or you put out 10,000 that day. All I know is the one seed that you sowed brought forth fruit, and the Lord is pleased with that. And here's the thing, I want to get in on that. Why? Because I want my faith to be the real deal. I don't want to just say one thing and do another. I don't want to be a fake. I don't want to be a phony. I don't want to be a put on. I want to be the real deal. And how do I do that? I live a life that backs up the things that I say. You see, a Christian maturity is evident through good works and spiritual fruit, but a self-focused view of God as a mark of spiritual immaturity. When we look at the church for what we can get from it, 
That's a, a, a sure mark of immaturity. When we look at Christianity, as far as what can I get from it, it's a mark of spiritual immaturity. Now, again, most of us, when we heard the gospel, we thought to ourselves, I don't want to go to hell. I want, I want to go to heaven. I want to be forgiven of my sin. What do I need to do to get myself out of the mess that I'm in? And that's okay. Because here's the thing, Jesus died for sinners, and that means, means all of us. But the problem comes when we don't move past what does the gospel do for me. And we stay in that spiritual immaturity phase where I need something for me and for me only. And that becomes super problematic. And please understand, if you want to ma- maintain your spiritual immaturity, there are plenty of places that will help you do that. Hey, come to church. We'll sing 45 minutes of music. There'll be a really quick uh, message about three tips to live in a happier life. Uh, four tips to have a great 2022. And then we'll sing some songs and we'll, we'll go home. And you can feel good about yourself. And you can stay in a spiritually immature state. Or you can grow. Growth takes place when I take the focus off of me and I put the focus on the glory of God. How does God get glory from my life this week? How has God made greater in my life this week? You know what Rahab said? Hey, I know that God's going to absolutely destroy this town. And I know that he's the one true God. How can I help? What can I do? Now, did she, was she interested in self-preservation? For sure. She didn't want to die. That's why she made a deal. But at the same time, she also knew that there was one true God who was going to have his will and have his way. What could she do to be a part of that? And so again, that's where we see the shift from immaturity to maturity, from when I'm less focused on me and I'm more focused on the glory of God. And now I'm not, I don't want to dabble in sin because there's a rule in the Bible that I can't. I don't want to not get involved in sin because somebody at church might find out and then it'll be a bummer. I don't want to not dabble in sin because my church has a rule that you can't do X, Y, or Z. I don't want to dabble in sin because I don't want to hurt my Savior. I don't want to demean the name of Christ. People know that I'm a Christian. I don't want to act in such a way that brings dishonor to my Father and hurts the cause of Christ. And so, while we're not saved by our works, our works will bear the testimony of a true saving faith. James again says, hey, you say that you got faith, prove it. You call yourself a Christian, let's see it. Everything should come back and back up the fact that you have the real deal. So we look at our works, bears testimony of a true saving faith. Our works should reflect reflect the life of our Savior. We took a look at this morning from Romans chapter 8, how Jesus Christ is the firstborn among many brethren, and how the good that God wants to bring from your situation is the fact that He wants to help you to be like your big brother, Jesus. He wants to conform you to the image of Christ. That's what He wants in your life. So our life, we got an example to follow. Jesus Christ. John says in 1 John chapter 2, verse number 6, 
He that saith he abideth in him ought to himself also walk even as he has walked. I'll paraphrase that for you. Hey, if you say that you're a Jesus follower, then walk the way that Jesus walked. Again, what you say should be backed up by the way that you live. It's been said many times that your walk walks and your talk talks. And your walk talks louder than your talk talks. In other words, talk is cheap. Anybody can say, I'm a Christian. Anybody can get themselves a Christian t-shirt. I remember my wife uh, several years ago, a couple years ago, had met a lady at a, a mom's uh, workout group that she went, goes to with a, had gone to with one of the ladies in our church. And this lady had on a shirt that said, faith, hope, and love, the greatest of these is love. And my wife says, oh, I love your shirt. She's like, oh, thanks. She's like, are you a Christian? And I was like, no, why would you say that? And she's like, your shirt. And she's like, what about it? It's a Christian shirt. No, it's not. Yes, it is. And she's like, no, it's not. And she was like, okay. And my wife's like, so you don't go to church? She's like, no. And she kind of took offense to the fact that my wife thought she was a Christian. I was trying to like start up a conversation with her. And kind of found out this lady had found the shirt at like TJ Maxx or something like that and thought it was cute and she bought it. And my wife had to tell her earlier, that's a Christian shirt. That's actually from the Bible. First Corinthians chapter 13. She's like, I don't even know anything about that. Okay. And then the lady's like, I am so embarrassed. I didn't know that this was a Christian shirt. And she was like, you don't have to be embarrassed. It's okay. And she invited her to church. She never came. But, uh, but we sometimes can make assumptions. Oh, this guy's wearing a Christian t-shirt. Oh, that guy's got a fish on his, the, the bumper of his, his car. Hey, look, he might have bought the car with a fish on it. Don't make assumptions, you know? So, well, you know, he's got a, a Christian tattoo. He must be a Christian. Hey, don't make assumptions. What is the determining factor whether or not someone is truly a Christian? Well, for, from our perspective, being justified before men is going to be backed up by your works. And so then the question comes, okay, if, if Abraham and Ahab were saved, how did all the people of the Old Testament get saved? How were people saved prior to Jesus? For you and I, we believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He died for our sins. He rose again the third day victorious. And He's coming back again one glorious day. When we repent of our sin and make things right with God, trusting in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. That's how we got saved. Anybody in this room and anybody since Christ's time that's gotten saved, that's how they've gotten saved. So then the question comes in like, well... Before Jesus died on the cross, how did people get saved? Legit question, huh? <laughs> well, people throughout all of human history have always been saved by faith. And so it's no different here. They were saved by faith in Jesus Christ as the coming Messiah. So they had to believe that Jesus Christ was coming. That he was going to die on the cross to pay for their sins. That there would be a sacrificial atonement by Christ. And you say, well, I read the Old Testament and I don't really see anywhere where it talks about, you know, the name Jesus Christ and dying on a cross and things like that. And there's prophecy that we can look at from prophets that we can kind of read between the lines now knowing how human history unfolds to see that it was really talking about Jesus. Somebody texted me last week and it's like, I'm reading through the Psalms, and I read Psalm 22. It's talking about Jesus Christ, like, to the T. It's like, yeah, it's called a prophetic messianic psalm. 
The psalmist knew that Christ was going to die on the cross, and here's what he wrote. Now, did he know exactly how it was going to unfold? I don't believe so. So then, how did they show their faith? Well, they believed in God, they trusted his word, and they followed a system of payment for their sin that required a sacrificial lamb without spot or blemish, whose blood would be shed to cover the sins of the people, and they believed in God that he could wash away their sins. What did they do? Faith and repentance. That's it. Now, they didn't have the luxury of knowing what you and I know. They just knew that there was a coming Messiah. I can imagine Old Testament Jews saying to themselves, a lamb or spot without blemish? I mean, does it really have to be our best one? I mean, what does it really matter? If it's like missing an eye or a leg, what does it matter if it's got these spots all over it? Does it really even matter? Because they didn't know what you and I know. They didn't know that that was a picture of Christ himself that had to be completely and totally perfect. They didn't get that. You and I get the luxury of reading the Bible backwards. They didn't have that. They just had to do what? Believe God by faith. And that's how they did it. Now, were they saved by the works of the law? Absolutely not. And again, if you think that they were saved because they kept the law, read the book of Galatians. No man has ever been justified by, declared righteous by the law. But by them following the law, they proved their faith in God. So again, big difference there. The, the law was their way to show them their need for a Savior, their need to have their sins forgiven. By obeying God's command was showing their faith in God. Hebrews chapter 11 says it this way. Verse number 13, Hebrews eleven thirteen, These all died in faith, having not, rec- not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Hey, our Old Testament Christians, they saw a promise that was way far off. They didn't fully understand it. They didn't fully grasp it. They just trusted God. And it's almost like you and I. I know that there was a man that died for my sins who was God in the flesh, and he died upon an old rugged cross, and his blood was shed for my sin. But how does that blood cover my sin? I don't fully grasp it. I might not fully understand it, but I believe it to be so, and I trust God by faith. I wasn't there the day that they nailed my Savior to the tree, but I believe it to be so as much as I believe that I'm standing here right now. I don't know how his blood can cover the sins of all mankind. I don't know how that one act upon the cross could fix all the things that I've broken in my entire life. I can't grasp it. I don't understand it. But I believe it to be so by faith. Same idea for the Old Testament believers. They were justified by faith. So bottom line, and we're going to put this whole faith and works thing to bed. Anyone who has ever been saved through all of human history has been saved by faith in Jesus alone. That's it. If anybody has ever been saved, it's been by faith through the grace of God. 
not of their works, lest any man should boast. Old Testament, New Testament, faith alone. Now, if it was a real faith, it showed. There's evidence of it. You see it in your own life sometimes. You see spiritual fruit. You see when God is at work in your life. You feel it. You know it. You see the results of it. You see the effects of it. It's such a blessing to see in the lives of others when you see people who say, oh man, that girl, she's on fire for Jesus right now. Oh, that guy right there, he's on fire for Jesus. It's fun to be around. You know why? Because fire spreads. It's contagious. And then you've had times in your life where your fire's just kind of gone out. Maybe you hear preaching, but it doesn't really connect the way that it did. We sing songs about how Christ is mine forevermore, and it's just like, man, just words. Can I sit down yet? We've all been there. I want to encourage you, if you're there, fix it. Sometimes people say, well, I don't really know how to fix it. Beg God to change your heart. Tell God that you want to feel his spirit real again. Open yourself up to the scriptures like you never have before. Repent of every known sin that you know of in your entire lifetime. Megadose on the word of God. Listen to solid Christian worship and praise music. Surround yourself with solid Christians. Find people that are on fire. Spend time with them. Man, that's how you get your fire back. That's a good feeling too. There's nothing worse than knowing that you're really far off from God. That's a bad feeling. I've been there before. Not fun, not pleasant. I've been there before where I'm just sitting in church looking at my watch waiting for the time to be over. It's a bummer of a place to be. But when your faith... And your works come together, it's like fireworks. That's where we want to live. I want to live a real tangible faith that is obvious to everybody around me. I want my kids to grow up and be able to say, my dad wasn't perfect, but he was the real deal. I think that's probably one of the best compliments I could have somebody give me. What you see is what you get. I committed that when we started Who We Call, I'd, I'd never pastored before. I'd served in, uh, in church ministry staff for years, but I never served as a pastor before. I made a commitment to my wife and to my family. The person that is here in the pulpit on Sunday is going to be the same guy that's eating dinner on Tuesday night at the dinner table. Same guy. I refuse to be duplicitous. And I want my kids to grow up and say, my dad was the real deal. Wasn't perfect, made a gang of mistakes but it was real. But that requires that what I say matches the things that I do. That my faith connects with my works. Because if I say that I have faith, but I don't have works, my faith is, help me, dead. And nobody wants that. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.